You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. There's a famous quote by Tim Berners-Lee, the man who invented the World Wide Web. And this is what he said, the power of the web is in its universality. Access by everyone, regardless of disability, is an essential aspect. In the beginning, the web was pretty much accessible for everyone because it was originally text-based. Fast forward 36 years since the invention of the World Wide Web, to say the appearance of web pages has evolved is an understatement. Web page technology and design has advanced light years beyond the original hypertext markup language, HTML as we all commonly know it, that was used to build the world's first websites. But is accessibility that universal power of the web referred to by its inventor keeping pace? seems not. More often than not today, websites are the first point of customer contact for any organization. You can be a small business, you can be a large company, an institution or a governmental department. Anyone looking for information is going to go to your website first. Well, here's the thing. The Web Aim Million 2023 report on the accessibility of the top 1 million web pages found that 96.3% of home pages have WCAG 2.0 failures. And Jeanette, that's down only slightly from 96.8% in 2022. Now, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines are the internationally recognized standards for making websites accessible. Hello there, I'm Dean Askin. Thanks for joining us for this episode. And I'm Jeanette Campbell. And on this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, we're exploring why businesses are still lagging behind on making their websites accessible and what needs to happen to get the web back to that universality, regardless of disability, that Tim Berners-Lee envisioned. We'll be getting our guests different web accessibility perspectives on what needs to happen and how to get there and what we might expect with web accessibility in the years ahead. Joining us from Israel in Tel Aviv is Ran Ronan, where it's 10 o'clock at night over there right now. So thank you for joining us late in your evening over there. Ran is the founder and CEO of Equally.ai. That's a firm that provides artificial intelligence-based accessibility solutions for organizations. On the line from Ottawa, Canada is David Berman. He's an inclusive design expert and a certified accessibility professional. And he's an invited expert to the W3C, which publishes the WCAG standards. And David has consulted to governments around the world. And joining us from Vienna, Austria, where she's taking time in her evening to be part of this conversation. And we thank you for doing that is Sabine Lobnik. She's the Director of Communications for the Mobile and Wireless Forum. It's an international association of companies with an interest in mobile and wireless communications, including the evolution to 5G and the Internet and World Wide Web of Things. Sabine recently talked about some of the issues around web accessibility in a virtual fireside chat that was live streamed from the Zero Project Conference 
Conference 2023 in Vienna. Now, full disclosure, I happened to catch that virtual session while a couple of my Odin colleagues were physically in Vienna for that conference. And I have to say, it was one of those times when you hear a guest making really insightful points and you think right away, I got to have this person for the episode we're doing on web accessibility. So I reached out and well, here we are. Ran, David and Sabine, welcome to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. Well, thank you very thank much. You so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> I want to I want to throw it out there and uh, um, Rand, perhaps you want to you know you want to take the first kick at the cat here. You know, I'm wondering why do you think so many businesses and, and organizations are are still lagging behind on on website accessibility? What's happening or not happening out there? First of all, thank you for having me, Dean. Um, so let's start. I think that if we would focus on facts and science it's mostly enforcement in countries where there is very um, strict enforcement of accessibility there is a, a much uh, a bigger adoption uh, i'm from israel israel is is one of the countries has the highest amount of adoptions for accessibility and penetration. Uh, and it's mostly because there, uh, there was a law that was presented that basically any company in Israel, uh, doesn't matter the size, if their, their websites isn't accessible, they will get a fine. And uh, they have 60 days to make the website accessible, they can get uh, a fine from $15,000 to $33,000 plus $2,000 for each day they are not accessible. And this basically caused the market to go like binary from zero to one. Almost all companies became accessible. And of course, also a lot of companies um, uh, started uh, in Israel, Israel is actually uh, a leading country in, in web accessibility. Um, and if we take Europe or uh, other countries where there are no laws, you see no penetration of accessibility. So I would mostly say enforcement. This is the main uh, reason. David, what do you think? Is it is there is it the lack of enforcement or lack of sort of specific accessibility laws in certain parts of the world that that's causing the lag or is it a lack of awareness about accessibility among businesses i think ron is onto something when he unpacked your question because your question i believe was why do we think so many businesses are still lagging behind and you really have to look break down the globe into different sectors and different geographies because i'm I agree with Ron that uh, in places like Israel or Canada or the United States, Scandinavia, all of Europe now, where there are very clear regulations and that there's a, a fairly transparent enforcement situation, then we've actually seen a remarkable shift in the last decade or so in how many businesses in those jurisdictions do conform to WCAG 2.0 AA or 2.1 AA. And although we can find many, many examples where people 
aren't quite there. In fact, things have become much better in those areas. Now, we have a long way to go, there's no question. There's an urgency to this matter. And it is a little frustrating that it's been 36 years since uh, Tim Berners-Lee made that pro proclamation. Even perhaps more urgent because, plus one in what Jeanette was saying about how during those 36 years, the web moved from being a side dish to the main show, being the primary path for how people interact and receive messages. As well, it's even more urgent because in many areas, now the web is the only way to get things done. So people who are living with disabilities, who beforehand perhaps, oh, maybe they couldn't get it done on the web, but they could still do it the way they'd figured out to do it in an analog world, in a physical world, walking into an office. Now, so many of those channels have disappeared. And the pandemic doubled that situation in terms of how many essential services moved digitally and therefore how much more important it is for everyone to be able to get things done in the digital space. So what do you think needs to happen? Well, just like in Israel, I, I come to you from Ontario. Today. <laughs> so here we are in Ontario, where the ecosystem has truly shifted. Uh, Ontario was the first jurisdiction on the planet to regulate that not just government sites, but private sector NGO sites needed to be informant. And in fact, uh, although Norway and Israel took it further than Ontario uh, by, because here in Ontario, some of the rules only apply, for example, to organizations of, let's say, 50 employees or more. But uh, when Norway did, a, did a, a copy and paste of Ontario's leadership, they said, no, this is going to apply to every business, uh, even down to one-person organizations, and it was the same in Israel, who also took it to AA. And so I agree that the ecosystem shifts when the requirement is created. So we've been at this in Ontario now with the AODA, the Act in Ontario that demanded this, not just of government, but of all organizations over a certain size, for over 10 years. And what transpired was a remarkable gelling of innovation and infrastructure, a whole community erupted. And so we find we have clients all around the world because we're so good at this in Ontario. And David, that, you know, I'm thinking, I'm reflecting on what both you and Rand have been talking about. And, um, and I know, again, we're, we're also based in Ontario. So thinking about the AODA and thinking about some of the discussions that happen around, you know, policy and what is policy without bite um it's encouraging you know so so i'm i'm resonating with resonating with me what you were talking about ran about you know where there's where there was more enforcement you were seeing higher adoption um but i'm also really it's it's encouraging to hear somebody say they're you know there has been improvements. We often hear it's not, you know, it, it's not, nothing's changed. Um, so it's great, you know, David, when you're saying there has been this remarkable shift and we do have to look at that and understand things are progressing um, and that we do still have, have a long way to go, but things are moving. So Sabine, I'll ask you, what do you think needs to happen then to, to keep this this momentum going, to to keep improving and increasing accessibility for websites. 
think we have the carrot and the stick. And as Ran and David were rather talking about the stick part to it, which is, of course, the laws, the policies, the, the enforcement, which are also important because they give us guidance and they push us in the direction we want to go, right? But very important is also to put more emphasis on the carrot part because I can have, I can comply with the accessibility just checking the boxes and do the bare minimum to be compliant or I can really fully embrace it and change the mental models behind it and not have it because I need to do it, but yeah, because I get more customers because then my blind employee or my deaf colleague can actually use this stuff. And to really get to the shift where I don't have to do accessibility, but I want to do it because I need the people. I need the people with disabilities, the older citizens and everyone else who has a certain access need for whatever reason. And this shift in mental models, I think we need to get to there to really have accessibility everywhere. The foundation, yes, is the regulation, is the laws, is the enforcement that gives us the first push. But then to actually really put it into practice and to have that momentum and have the momentum going without the stick behind us, we need to get to that mental shift and really understand what accessibility is. And that is also one of the things. It's not that everyone just does it because it's the law or doesn't want to do it. It's no one will tell you, no, I don't want to do accessibility. It's that you have wrong prejudice. You think it's expensive, it's complicated, I don't know where to start. And actually, if you start Googling accessibility, you, com you get completely lost. You don't know where to start. So for us, the challenge or the task, the responsibility is to make it easy, to give people a clear path to follow and to make accessibility easy and then get the fun part behind it. Because actually accessibility can be super exciting. There's lots of really great things to be done. It doesn't have to be the law and where I get punished when I don't do it. And Sabine, I'm just going to pick up on a point that you made um, because I don't want that to drop. You know, when you talk about this carrot and stick, concept and that maybe we need to emphasize the carrot a little bit more. It then relates back to, for me, something that David was talking about, about starting to pausing and thinking about the fact that so much commerce, so much business, so much interaction now can only be done on websites, whereas you used to have that option. You could go in and fill out a form or put it in order or buy something. And now so many things are done only and exclusively online. So that whole concept of the carrot, I think, is really important for people to understand. It's not just because, you know, this is a regulation, you're mandated to do it. It's a policy. It's a, um, it's a rule. It's that this is also your employee experiences your employee engagement. This is also your customer experience, your customer acquisition. So there are lots of other rewards and that uh, there's so many rewards and maybe the dialogue can shift a little bit to say, yes, there's requirement, but let's look a little bit past that. So I just, I just didn't want to lose the, the, the thread there between the two of you with that. That was, that's very interesting. And Dean, you look like you're, oh, sorry, oh, David. I just like to Plus one on what you're saying, if I could. Yeah. Because indeed, very often um, a regulatory requirement may be what gets it on someone's radar. But what we find is like we, we've identified 
five powerful reasons why people tend to embrace accessibility, and only one of them is because there's the stick. Everything else is carrots. And so, and it leads us to the, what we call the accessibility dividend, because we find just exactly what Sabine is saying. We find if you just are doing this because you got to, then it is going to cost more money and it's going to take extra time and it's going to be a challenge and it'll just be seen like a burden. But when you go deeper and you make the ecosystem changes, you actually start getting the dividends, you get better search, you get, you reach a larger audience, you drive down your, the costs of actually doing business. But you can't get that if you just tick the boxes. You only get that if you make the systemic change. And we were doing, well, let me tell you one story. Uh, we were doing work for the Canada Revenue Agency. And here in Canada, at this time of year tax time, it's the busiest website in the country. Now, we were doing work on their website strategy. And one thing we learned was this. Every time at tax time, someone phoned the Canada Revenue Agency and asked them a question, it cost $26 to answer the phone. That was the cost of answering a question from any Canadian or resident looking to it with a tax question. But if people could self-serve online, it only cost six cents. So one of the motivations for making the Canada Revenue Agency arguably the most accessible revenue department on the planet is that we were able to save literally millions of dollars in customer support costs by making it possible for a, the, for the, a much larger proportion of the population to not just find the answers to their questions online, but also to be confident they'd found everything they needed to find and to be able to fill in forms accessibly. And so instead of people abandoning tasks, we got a larger proportion of the population complying voluntarily with tax law rather than the far more expensive flip side, which is having to enforce it. That's an ROI that we should probably continue to talk about a lot more. It's the change the mindset and that, and then that changes your, your whole, or your whole approach to it. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, you, you know, you were mentioning, you know, things like, you know, the technology and, you know, complying with, with the technology. And I want to dive into this. And I know there's two camps here. I know there's, you know, the, there's the use of artificial intelligence to, you know, to help people make their sites accessible. And then there's, you know, people like you, David, who, you know, who are, you know, the accessibility consultants and can help people through the whole process. And you know, we don't want to turn this in, in, into a, into a debate about, you know, which one is best, but I, I want to get your perspectives on how significant is the role of both the AI technology and, you know, a, a company hiring a consulting firm to help them through the whole, whole process in getting them, making accessibility fun as opposed to just, you know, something they, they have to do. What's the, what's the role of, of each or do they, do they work together in part or, or what? Rand, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to, as, as the AI person yeah. jump in first? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Thank you. Um, uh, first of all, unfortunately, um, 
today we can't make website accessible only with AI. Um, there's a lot of aspects of making a website accessible that require um, a manual process. So the only way to make a website accessible is by doing both a combination of, um, no, of course you can, sorry, you can do it just manual, but you can also use AI. So the only way to make a website accessible with AI is a combination uh, of manual work. Um, I believe that AI is the future of accessibility. Um, it can save a lot of time making a website accessible. Uh, it can make uh, a much better user experience. Um, we see it today with ChatGPT. ChatGPT is a game changer uh, in terms of web accessibility. And we will see the impact soon. Um, but right now, from what I see, uh, big companies, um, they have the budget so they can use, they need to use top consultants, uh, to make their websites, um, like accessible, but not accessible in terms of WCG. Um, we're saying accessible in terms of usability, uh, providing an amazing experience. So, like if we are looking on a website, there is like a very basic website in terms of design, but there is also a website that you come to the website and you say, wow, what an amazing uh, user experience. So the same level can be reached um, in terms of uh, web accessibility, providing people with disabilities, the same amazing experience. And uh, with top consultants, we can reach this level and AI can reduce the work of the consultants and make it better. Uh, for example, from monitoring uh, the accessibility uh, issues, making sure that the website is always accessible uh, because website tends to change every once in a while. Um, so this is one part. Um, the second part that AAA uh, level of accessibility, um, it's not so much achievable. Uh, now the compliance is requesting, but um, uh, it's a big challenge to make a website accessible in triple A level. Now with AI, it's much more possible. And uh, if we will use AI, uh, we can make website much more simple uh, to understand. Uh, for example, I will just just uh, give uh, just something that uh, I'm we're talking in our organization that uh, we have a focus group with a cognitive group, and we saw that using ChatGPT, we can basically give text and we can tell ChatGPT to change the text. Like this text should be read by a eight year old uh, kid. And the way it changes it, it's amazing. And if we can use it, 
So a user can come to a website and in the click of a button, or we will already know that this is the, 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 the there is a person with a cognitive disability visiting this website and we will automatically adjust the website uh, that it will be um, accessible uh, for them. It will make a big impact. Uh, and we need to remember uh, if we're looking on uh, the different type of groups for people with disabilities, so blind people, they use the web amazingly. Um, they have screen readers, the websites, the screen readers that even can interrupt and manipulate the code of a website so they can experience the website. But people with cognitive disabilities, the internet is almost close to them completely. And uh, with AI, we can really make an impact and make it accessible for them. Um, and this is just one example of how AI can make uh, websites more accessible. Stephen, I want to get your perspective on this. I mean, you've consulted all, all over the world. You know, I mean, AI can do a lot these days. But is it there yet? I mean, what what do you see? Well, what's the what's the you know, how do the two work together or how do they need to work together or what's your perspective? That's a great that's a great question, Dean. I'm pleased to chime in. You know, Ron is absolutely correct when he says that it requires a mixture of automated testing and manual testing uh, in the hands of skilled professionals in order to make the changes to discover if there are gaps and then close those gaps so we can get a truly accessible experience. And all, although AI holds great promise, we're seeing fascinating innovations regarding AI, such as Ron is mentioning. Part of our challenge is that, you know, I think like when we, well, like when my team works on a, on doing an, formal audit of a, a website, of course, we use the best automated tools available on the planet. And yet 80% of the time we spend is on the stuff that skilled humans must do. And we, and so I can imagine, imagine a future, let's say, I don't know, 15 years from now, maybe, where it'll be possible for someone with, um, who's legally blind to get in a self-driving car and drive the car. That's imaginable now. And AI is going to be a big part of that. And we're seeing tools and innovations from leaders such as Microsoft, where you know you, you open office and um, you ask Microsoft to propose what the alt text is on a photo. So we have an image where not everyone can see it. And rather than a human writing the alternative text to describe what's in that photo, the AI engine tries to and we appreciate the effort but i've looked at thousands of images in the dozens of projects we work on in accessible documents i've yet to see one alt text generated by office 365 that actually could have gone live as is and that's not to say that 10 years from now the hit the hits will be much better a part of our challenge is that although there's such a great promise for ai that we have claims that are being made that are so unrealistic by some organizations. So for example, I'm a company 
and someone said, oh, you got to make your site WCAG 2.0AA conformant or else it's going to be against the law. You don't know anything about this. So you go searching on the web and you come across websites where people are making claims like, check if your website is conformant in one click or install this piece of software in five minutes, your site will now be ADA conformant, ADA compliant. That's the Americans with Disabilities Act. And these claims are are not just ridiculous, but they're really dangerous. Because in a world where the only way of getting certain things done is online, in a world where perhaps there's a pandemic raging and the only way to participate in a community is remote, for someone who innocently owns a website and has been wrongly assured that their site now conforms to standards, now is accessible, means that at worst, they're losing out on a huge part of their audience. I'm sorry, at best, they're losing out a huge part of their audience. At best, their SEO isn't as good as it should be. But at worst, we're actually, there could be health and safety issues unleashed by someone innocently believing someone who tells them that in five minutes we can make your, your site accessible. And it's not that I don't believe in the power of AI. Look at this very Zoom meeting we're in here right now. If I could turn on the live captions. Now, 10 years ago, if I showed you automated captions, there were members, uh, uh, friends I have in the deaf community who were up in arms about automated captioning being included in meetings and other events because they were simply a way to save money. The idea was instead of having great captions at $75 an hour by a specialist, you could now turn on this machine that would cut the cost. And the captions were so poor that members of the deaf community would correctly say, I'd rather they weren't there at all because I'm getting the wrong information and I think it's right. Now, fast forward to today, and although, of course, the best captioning still comes from people who are professional transcribers, there's many a casual meeting where the quality of the AI captioning in Zoom or in Teams and Google Meet has actually reached the point where they are embraced by people who are deaf or hard of hearing, and we all enjoy that. So there's an example of AI going on a 10 to 15 year march, where at one point it was snake oil, and now we all enjoy it in all kinds of creative ways. And I do think there's promise there, but I'm really concerned that the current situation is being greatly exaggerated, and that's dangerous and confusing and detrimental to the community. I want, to, I want to carry that on a, a little bit. You know, who's got the, you know, in all of that, who's got the biggest challenge in, you know, not falling into that trap of thinking they can get it all instantly and have an instantly accessible website? Is it is it the small business or is it the major, you know, global corporations? Who's got the biggest challenge and and which of those segments do you think can really lead the way to more accessibility? May I jump in on that? Please, Please. jump in on that, Sabine. Yes. Because I think in any case, you cannot outsource accessibility. <clears throat> that's That's not the point of it. All of those things that we're talking about are valid, but we need to remember technology is a tool. We cannot just say we solve accessibility with technology. Yeah, the technical side, yes. 
But if I outsource it and I'm not aware of it anymore, it still doesn't help me then in the direct interaction because accessibility really is about shifting the mental models and providing access for everyone, no matter how. I mean, that will always defer. And sometimes AI will be the solution. Even now, for some cases, even better in 15 years, sometimes or very often you need the manual. But in any case, people need to be aware that I need to provide access with the whole mindset behind it and then learning the steps. And in terms of who can do it, yes, of course. I mean, we have Microsoft and Apple and, and the big corporations who have chief accessibility officers, which shows the value that the topic has gained. And they have a full team that is also um, the ambassadors that are the ambassadors, the advocates inside the company. So it's not just working on the technical solution that's really being providing the awareness and providing the lived experience of accessibility in the daily business. A big corporation can do that. A small or medium enterprise really has trouble and doesn't even know where to start. And is also very often not capable, or at least doesn't think they are capable for employing a person with a disability because they're just too overwhelmed. So I think the big corporations, yes, they are ready. And many of them already have a very good concept and have embraced accessibility. And that is wonderful and powerful, but that's not enough. We need education on all sides. We also need education on the consumer side because having an accessible Microsoft is fantastic. If the consumer doesn't know about it, the tools don't get used. And that is the same problem that we have with the mobile devices that I work on. They have fantastic accessibility features for the last 15 years. 99% of users don't know about them and don't know, how, don't know how to use them. So education is needed and accessibility cannot be outsourced. I want to also add my uh, five cents. Uh, thank you, Sabrina. I can't agree more, but I want to say that large organizations, from what I see, um, they have challenges, um, but most of them has unlimited resources in terms of funding. They can easily hire experts. They can, uh, it's not about the budget, so they can train the employees. And they can do everything to make their websites accessible at the end. Um, where I see is the challenge is for small uh, companies. Um, uh, a local store uh, that has a website. They don't have um, the resources to do it. They don't have the uh, education or the understanding of what needs exactly to do. And uh, they usually use like third party um, applications or services in order to make the website, uh, the, the design. Uh, so they now need to make the website accessible and for them, it's a challenge. So they need to choose between, um, an expert who will basically audit the website and make it, uh, and provide the recommendations in some cases also will make the adjustments and, the, and, uh, to make it accessible or they will use, um, a solution. Um, it can be 
different type of solutions. It doesn't have to be like an automated solution that fixes the website's uh, accessibility. And uh, in most cases, uh, from what we see, uh, they, they, they are the group to struggle the most. The goal is to build a solution for them that will be one affordable and one very easy to use. Uh, but I want to join for what David said, that it, that honesty is a key here. You can't promise them that uh, they install some magic and all of a sudden the website will be ADA compliant. Uh, you need to explain them that those, if they would choose the affordable solutions, it really depends about the complexity of the website because not all websites are identical. Some websites are more simple and some website uses much more, uh, I would say like uh, sophisticated uh, elements that require much more understanding and a much deeper, deeper dive into the technology used in order to make them accessible. So, but if we are looking on a, like a simple website, even like a Wix website or like something like a person that just click off a button, uh, like chose the easiest day, they, they, they will struggle. And the, the goal is to give them uh, an affordable and a good solution. David, is, is that what you see when you consult with you know, organizations all over the world? Do you see the smaller players being the most challenged? Well, I think each group has different challenges. But I do think that Ran is onto something um, when he says that perhaps the um, reasonable market for a latch-on workaround solution, the kind of thing where someone says, gee, it's not realistic for me to get this done properly, but at least I want to do something for now. And so I'm thinking, for example, here in Ontario, if you have 50 or more employees, you meet, you must conform to WCAG 2.0AA. Now, if my dentist's office, which maybe has eight employees, and they have a website, which not their strongest suit, wonderful dentists, but their online presence is, is not that strong, if they, it's conceivable that if they were to have someone plug in a chunk of JavaScript, which, you know, added this feature that could maybe make the site more conformant, then maybe that would help them close the gap. But unfortunately, many of those tools are as much designed to check the boxes as they are to actually create a more accessible experience. And that may get better over time and as they mature. I think the real, the real solution here is that because we find we we are we we find this doesn't have to cost money it can actually cost less and we can get all the benefits of that accessibility dividend but we don't get them by just latching on some code we get them by going deep and so if i could pivot dean to where the solutions really lie i think they have to do with hiring more people with disabilities like in North America, I can speak for Canada and the United States here, and Sabine um, and uh, Ron, maybe you want to, you have different numbers, but the reality here is that there's a very proud success story to tell about the number, the proportion of people living with disabilities who are now graduating from university. It's This number has gone up dramatically over the last three decades, and we have a lot to be proud of. But the employment rate, once graduated, 
has gotten gotten significantly better at all in the last three decades. So we still have people, if it's not challenging enough, there's discrimination and a lack of equity, it's hard to make a living if you're living with a disability still. Now, if we hire more people with disabilities, they become part of our ecosystem and the awareness of what's needed, it's not just something like you get around to recreating your website at the last minute you say, oh yeah, we have to make it accessible. Let's finally check to see if it's accessible. That's such a, that's the most expensive, least effective, most painful way we could go about it. But imagine instead we're creating a brand new site and we have people in, as part of our staff doing whatever in our organization who have a diversity of abilities and different ways of looking at things and different ways of thinking about things. We know that if we have diversity amongst the web development team, we will get more creative solutions and we'll be building that inclusion in every step of the way. And we'll get innovations that were unimaginable if you have a if you just have people with typical abilities doing all the stuff and using all the tools and at the end saying, hey, person with disabilities, could you test this for us to see if it really works? So that's where we get the payoff by including people of all abilities in our processes, in our workflows from day zero. That's one way. And another thing we can do is that I agree, it's really daunting if you take that existing dental website and you say, oh my gosh, how do I take this thing and make it accessible? And imagine if I had two hospitals. One hospital has been around for 120 years. It's in a heritage building. We've got to make it accessible. And like, oh my gosh, we got to replace the elevators, uh, rebuild rooms, uh, change, the order, change how, uh, the, the size of entryways, put in ramps. All kinds of things have to be done. It's expensive. It's tricky. And the outcomes may be mediocre. Imagine another hospital, purpose-built from square one, still on the drawing board, and we're building inclusion in from day zero. Well, not only, of course, will it cost less, we'll get better outcomes, but it's actually way easier to do. And so if your first website you try to make accessible is one that already exists, that's really a tall slope. And when Sabine talks about the intimidation, that's a huge part of it. So although it may seem counterintuitive, we encourage teams and organizations to say, hey, let's learn how to make things accessible, not with an existing site, but with your next one, the one you're building from scratch. And now we can build it correctly all the way up. There's other techniques we can throw on the table. But, uh, those are the type of ideas, Dean, that I want to get on the table, because that's the real solution to change the ecosystem, to change the way everyone in an organization thinks. So accessibility simply becomes a habit. It's just like we wouldn't let a document out that isn't spelled correctly. Well, that goes without saying for all of us. And yet there was a time when there was no spelling standard in, in English or German or, or any language. It's only a few hundred years old that we actually have a spelling standard in English. And, and so we have to imagine a future where we'd say, of course, we wouldn't create things in ways that exclude some people. That's just that's just the wrong way to do to build anything. That is, you're talking about that culture shift and um, and the importance of that and and how even in those examples that you've given and just how important the that 
understanding and awareness from from our communities, our society in general is and and from understanding and listening, listening to the disability community that says, hi, um, did you want to ask us? Uh, you know, we saw, ask the person, ask somebody, ask somebody what would make this better, what would make this right or past the ask the person concept is the whole the whole piece around nothing for us without us and you build your teams you you build your company you build your company culture around this concept of accessibility around inclusion uh, all the way across the board inclusion of everyone of all of the different um, abilities and cultures and thoughts and and skill sets that you need to bring in and you start building a company that is going to be responsive, is going to be attractive, is going to, you know, it's going to speak to everybody or it's at least going to speak to much more than they currently do. And I love this idea of, you know, starting from scratch is sometimes a little bit easier. And and you do, you find people try to stay with what they had and, okay, I have it. Let me, let me just fix this and it's you sometimes you just can't you're not going to actually achieve the goal you set out to so i find that really uh, insightful piece david but it does also make me think about when you talk about designing things and how we use things differently um it does make me think about where the shift is is also potentially happening around things like how people are accessing the web period not really about accessibility but how what are the tools people are using how are those being designed so thinking about things like mobile phones mobile devices tablets and you know sabine i'm looking at you other people don't have the ability to see the zoom that we're on right now but i'm actually glancing and you're chuckling now because you know i'm coming your way and it's that that you know how what how significant of, of, of a role is there in the accessibility of the devices um and and so i'll ask if we can start with sabine but but ron and david then jump in after that please i would say it's um less discussed but at least as important and um, i'm coming back to what i said about education and awareness because actually we have come in, in particular with mobile devices and that is mobile phones, tablets, variables. We have come a long way over the past 15 years. And there again, I would say probably the impetus was the first regulations in the US who really gave gentle kick to get it started. Uh, but on that, building on that, the technology really has developed in a wonderful way because you can have a really great website that is that you can read with a screen reader, if your device doesn't have a screen reader, it doesn't really help you. So today's devices really have a, a plethora of, of accessibility features. So we run the GARI database um, where you can actually get information on the accessibility of those devices today, and which actually is intended to be a central source of information. So if you're looking for an accessible mobile phone or tablet or wearable, you can go there and see what's in the market today worldwide and you can also compare devices amongst each other and if you go to that website it lists today around 130 features for mobile phones accessibility features so who of us knows 
accessibility features of our own device. Not really many people. And also, I mean, actually amongst the disability community, you really have power users. And every time I go to the conferences, I learn from my colleagues with disability new fantastic features, which I actually have in my own phone and I didn't know about it. Because they are forced from circumstance to explore it more than we do. So the accessibility of the device is already there. But today we have this weird situation where we have the solution, but people don't know about it. And it's not just the user, and the user is the key part in it, but it's also everyone in between. It's the vendor in the shop who doesn't know about the accessibility. It's the, te the telecom provider, the caretaker, the funding authority, the family who provides the device very often. The whole chain lacks information education. But in terms of the device side, we do have fantastic accessibility. And of course, it's the, the gateway to the content. So we have the device that on one hand needs to be accessible in and of itself so that you can use it. And then you have the device that actually makes the environment and the content accessible in the best case. That can help you access content that maybe is not 100% accessible, but of course, all the chains in the accessibility value chain need to function. And it starts with the hardware. It goes then to the apps, the content, the software, all along the way to the user experience. Uh, Ran, David, do you have anything as well that you I, think about with that? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. Um, I want to add to what Sabine said. Um, when I started the company, I started to meet with people uh, with disabilities, mainly people who were blind. And I was shocked to know how much they prefer to use mobile phones today over desktop um, because they are so much better <laughs> in terms of accessibility. Um, I once asked someone who is very famous who would not want me to mention his name in the industry and asked him what was what is the biggest game changer ever happened in accessibility and he just said one word apple apple basically changed the world in terms of accessibility completely um for everyone and uh, what they are doing today is basically making the web uh, a much better and easier place for everyone. And uh, I hope that everyone will follow what they do. Well, I mean, just maybe to be complete uh, on this part, um, we have the European Accessibility Act coming into force in 2025. And mobile phones in general, ICT and e-commerce and so on, they are under the act and it's a market access directive. That means that from 2025, all the products under the umbrella of this act, they must be accessible. Otherwise, they cannot be put on the European market. So that is huge. And another really interesting part is also that one of the requirements is accessible information on accessibility features. So there is actually an obligation to do better in communicating what the device can do for different access needs. And I'm already very curious to see how this will translate into practice. And I do hope that that will help us create much more awareness to just make this information present 
and also enforce the education part behind it so that also the vendors and everyone in the value chain embraces that information and can pass it along. Well, I, I, if I may yeah, also please add to that, mobile has simply made so much possible for people living with disabilities and having different abilities because it's one thing to be able to take processes that were on the desktop and enhance them to include everyone. But the type of innovation we see, and you know, Sabine, kudos to to, to the mobile and wireless forum for Gari, because that's a no one has ever done that before. You know, if you track the what's in that database over the over the last um, even five years, the evolution occurring on the mobile space is remarkable in terms of accessibility features. So of course we can always say it's not fast enough, but when you open up any Android phone today, any Apple, uh, any iOS device, any um, any Android device, you find features that are just mind blowing. And in, indeed, this is the case for for Ron pushing AI because, like for example, here I've got my I'm whole because we're on a podcast. We all have a at least a temporary visual disability. I'm I'm on my Samsung phone. I'm running Android. I'm launching Lookout from from Google. It's a you just install it for free and I can point you're wondering where am I I am I am hearing I'm pointing devices around where I am to give you a sense of what's going on in my little part of the world and I'm just seeing if I can uh apologies I just have to get the volume up here for, for this to work let me try again so I've turned on Google Lookout and any of you can MDBDT view LN cert format tools extensions help. Text 111 FSND Leyland 9S. Computer monitor. Computer monitor with text S fine logic Bardalv ENC. Computer keyboard with text log supper on thirst plan and F for prod 4 to 55 G parts 34 to 450 VO1 a SOS 9 the work in for log supper sun Thursday. So, so David, yeah, um, I, was, I was about to start describing what people, like, in case they couldn't what? hear that. I loved it when it said computer monitor as you're you're pointing your device at us. I was waiting for it to say five people smiling or four yeah. people smiling and one holding a phone. And yeah. This is the thing. And if I hold it up just right and I let it read the words on the Zoom screen, because we're recording this podcast today on a on a Zoom meeting. Indeed, you would get the descriptions of the people now. It's so, it's so, it's 99% inaccurate because it's just nascent, wonderful technology where they're asking us to beta test it and improve it. But there's no question within a year, two years, three years, well, it's already reading the barcodes right. And it used to be, we'd say, there's a camera and a mobile phone for someone who can't see because they're walking down the aisle and they get to the soup cans and the soup cans are in different flavors and they don't, they want the mushroom soup rather than the vegetable soup and well they they've got the camera so they can take a picture and send it to their friend and say hey the, these people at campbell's that make the soup they aren't clever enough to yet to put braille on their soup can so i can't tell them apart but this app i tested it in the store and i can point it and it will read to me the labels and i can know that which is the mushroom soup and which is the vegetable. So there's already things you could never do on desktop because that phone can travel with you wherever you are. And all the magic that comes with voice to text recognition and on and on. We all know how this is revolutionizing our world. So I, I like to think of it that 
Well, it's the same way we saw innovation in the first. Okay, this is this is tangential, but when the printing press was invented, when Gutenberg invented for the West the printing press, movable type, for the first 40 years, all they did was find ways to produce existing documents less expense, more expense, less exp with less expense. So now they were Bibles for everyone, which is great. But then about four generations, about four decades in, people started inventing things that no one ever dreamed was possible that you could do with a printing press. Same with the web, uh, or same with, same with um, microcomputers. For the first 30, 40 years, even with mainframes, we were simply reproducing things that had been done before, faster, more, more available, cheaper. But then in the fifth decade after the development of the UNIVAC, we start seeing things being invented, like the internet, that no one even dreamed possible. And that's what we're seeing with accessibility on mobile devices. We're seeing people inventing stuff that no one ever dreamed could be done. And that's perhaps where the promise is. Well, and, and David, that that brings me to to sort of my next question around these changes. You know, you've started to name some and, and you've the printing press is such a great example to ground us and think about. Yeah, OK, this is what progress actually is looking ahead. And this is for for all all three of you looking ahead. What other because you've been naming some. So what other web accessibility changes and do you think we'll be experiencing maybe just in the next few years? S Sabine, you want to? jump in on that one a uh, hard one <laughs> well what what we definitely see is that accessibility and assistive technology merge more and more so it's and that also the your device your personal device whether that is a tablet very often in the older generation case a mobile phone or wearable maybe in a few years implantable but in any case, something that you have with you all the time, um, that they become the universal access point for everything. So it used to be the computer, right? But now it's your mobile device. And already it is the case that you access the internet and that you interact or that you prefer having that as a universal remote control. So you don't want to actually go to a ticket counter uh, or a ticket machine. You want to do that on your mobile, or on your mobile phone. You want to control your home, your smart home with your personal device. So I think this will merge more and more. And that really, we do centralize all the functionality and all the capability on the personal device. And then on the personal device, of course, you have everything else that is unleashed in terms of web and AI and all the other functions that are in the device itself. But I would say those two, the merging of accessibility and assistive more and more, and then the personal device becoming the central access point for everything. Ryan, what about you? Thank you for that, though, Sabine. Um, I want to add to Sabine as well. Um, I would say more um, AI tools. Um, I'm following, I'm a big fan of ChatGPT. I see basically any new uh, GitHub uh, community talk. And what I see is basically like in terms of revolution, I would say 
that we are actually seeing a new revolution right now that is bigger than everything people saw. Um, I feel like it's even bigger than, I don't know, television, radio. Um, and the impact that AI will do on web accessibility is behind behind what we can think. Um, it will improve people's life uh, from consumer products to even accessibility tools that will make accessibility easier and faster. Um, and it's it's uh, it's bigger and we will see so much i believe in the next uh, people say that this year is the ai year so i believe that uh, it's going to be ai for accessibility as well here david what about you do you have another uh, another prediction of what what you think is going to be coming down the uh, coming down the line in the next few years Certainly. Well, one of the things we always are certain of when it comes to technological change, especially in ICT, is that we, we can't really predict what's coming, but we know it's going to come faster and faster. However, if we look to the history of assistive technology, of accessibility, it's a long history of people designing for extreme use cases that end up getting mainstreamed. So, for example, if we even go back almost 200 years now, Alexander Graham Bell didn't set out to invent the mobile phone uh, or the telephone. He simply wanted to help a small group of deaf students in a school in North in New England have a better learning experience. And on the way to doing that, he ends up inventing the microphone, the transducer, the loudspeaker, and, and on and on all the pieces that he later strings together to mainstream the telephone. So we get these no trade-offs approach where the extreme cases lead to the benefits. So the, the same technologies, for example, that, that drive Siri and I won't say the other tools out loud, but the speech-to-text engines that we all have become, well, children growing up in today just assume they live in a speech-to-text world. And yet... Where did Apple get Siri? Well, Apple hired the people who developed Nuance. And where did Nuance get that? Well, they were the people who had, you go back 30 years to the people who originally, originally developed Dragon Naturally Speaking, which was developed for professionals who needed a way to overcome mobility challenges and other, and other differences in order to be able to do their jobs. But the cost gets driven down when things get mainstreamed. So just like half the people in this meeting, I can tell you, are wearing glasses. But when the, you know, the first time someone wandered out into the village square in somewhere in Europe, uh, let's see, 350 years ago, with lenses strapped to their face, people would maybe point it and laugh and say, what's with that crazy guy? And yet today, we don't even think of glasses as an assistive technology. It's just they're ubiquitous. Some people I know wear glasses who don't even need them because they like to look. So where I'm going with this is that assistive technologies become mainstream. And I think one of the, my favorites of what's going to happen that's going to roll out is, I think, with the democratization of hearing aids. You know, right now we think of a hearing aid as something that is only needed if someone is a profound hearing challenge. And they make them really small. You're going to hide them because no, you want, people wouldn't want to know you're wearing a hearing aid. But 
why isn't it just like glasses? Why aren't, why aren't we all wearing hearing aids? And indeed, the industry that creates hearing aids and charges so much money of them, for them is falling away with regulatory changes occurring in the United States and in Europe, and hopefully soon in Canada, which is making it possible to walk into a pharmacy and maybe for 99 bucks buy a device that would go in my ear because we all would benefit from the augmented reality of an assistive technology which would adjust what I hear, whether I'm in a restaurant versus a rock concert versus working alone versus whatever. And why can't those hearing aids look just as cool and fashionable as glasses do? I think 10 years from now, we're going to see everyone's going to be wearing stuff in their ears and they could be blingy and they could be fun. But the point is, the wearing glasses is just a form of augmented reality. Wearing uh, uh, what will not be called a hearing aid, but would be a, a hearing augmentation device that can be personalized, that can be linked to an app, that can give us that intense personalization that Ron's talking about. Imagine what happens when we add AI to that. So I think the place to watch is not necessarily what technologies we add to accessibility, but what ways will accessibility be on the cutting edge of technologies that then become mainstreamed and become affordable for everyone. Even 10 years ago, rank and file people on this planet could not afford a screen reader because it would cost maybe $1,500 for screening, screening software. But today, we now know that the world, the, the number of people in the world who are now using an open source screen reader, NVDA, let alone VoiceOver on Mac, these are free screen readers, or at least they're charityware. And the fact that millions, millions more people are using the technologies means that the technologies simply move faster and faster and get better and better and become more easier to understand, more easier to install, and more acceptable uh, in our societies. These have been some fantastic insights, and I just want to go around the world for a minute and get some final thoughts. I mean, what's the most important message for anyone who's in charge of a website and that that needs to be accessible, you know, whether they're a webmaster for a, a big business, a small business, a designer, you know, a one person shop. What's the what's the key message here for anybody listening to this episode right now? OK, I will start. Um, I feel I think that the key message is the more you invest in accessibility, the better um, your business will be. The ROI um, is bigger than just making the website accessible for people with disabilities. The ROI is making the website better for everyone. Um, people should think of accessibility as, I would say, like the law of how you should build a website. The right and the better you build the website or the better you build your application, the more people will use it and more people will enjoy and experience it. So make your website accessible. So being what's your, what's your, what's your, your thought layer from Vienna? My key message would be accessibility is much more than just the checklist that I have to do to comply. It's once you really let yourself be open to it, it's a journey. It opens your horizon. It opens the perception of how you perceive the world and the people you reach and how you interact with them. So accessibility makes 
the business, the website, the life, just much richer and provides you access to a lot more people that otherwise you wouldn't be able to reach. David, final word for you. I agree with uh, Sabine, and I'd like to build on that uh, because there's been perhaps 7,000 generations of humans, and we just happen to live in the first generation where it's truly possible to include everyone. And at least everyone participating in this call, we live in economies where we have the, the privilege, we have the opportunity, we have the tools. For the first time in human history, we have the tools where we can truly include everyone. And so whether you consider that coincidence or you consider it fate, I feel that because we can do this, we must do this. We have to, especially in the economies that lead at this, we have to show the entire world how possible it is. I think that because I'm looping right back to the first thing you asked, Dean, you were talking about what's holding people back. They need an example. It used to be the courses we run on, let's say, accessible web, accessible documents, accessible apps. A course that used to be three days long is now only an hour, is only a day and a half. It's because the techniques and the tools are getting better and clearer and faster and more affordable. So if not, if not now, then when? Well, I just, I, I'm thinking about that statement that you just made. And I think that that's sort of an amazing way to, to close it off about this being really the first time in history that we, we exist at a time when it is actually possible to include everyone. So I'll say, I'll say thank you all for sharing these different perspectives, these very shared perspectives as well on, on creating this universally accessible web and, and introducing uh, our listeners to so many things for them to think about around assistive technology, the impacts of AI, where we've been, where we are now, where we're going. That was uh, that was a phenomenal conversation. And, um, you know, I, when we started this, with a with a quote from Tim Berners-Lee uh, and I'm going to end it on that to say that he did a, a, a quote there's a quote from a 2019 article that he did in the Guardian and it was on the 30th anniversary of the web and he said the web is for everyone and collectively we hold the power to change it it won't be easy but if we dream a little and we work a lot, we can get the web we want. It's really food for thought. I mean, there's still lots of that work to do on accessibility, but I think clearly, uh, but I guess the web will get there where everybody wants it with that universality eventually, if we do all of these things that you've all talked about. But here and now, that is it for this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. And thank you again. I'm Jeanette Campbell. And thank you from me. I'm Dean Askin. Thanks again for listening wherever, whenever, and on whatever mobile device or podcast app you're listening from. Join us each episode as we have insightful conversations like this one on web accessibility and explore disability inclusion in business and in our communities from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network. 
All Rights Reserved. Our podcast production team. Executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell. Producer, Sue Defoe. Associate producer and host, Dean Askin. Audio editing and production by Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odinnetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot com. Join us each episode for insights from expert guests as we explore the power of inclusion, the business benefits of inclusive hiring, and why disability is an important part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.